what happens when you want to get a job? You know, you either just quit a job, you just got laid off, you're graduating college, what do you do? Well, usually you fill out a resume, you spruce up your LinkedIn profile, and you start submitting resumes to companies by the dozen, just hoping to get a response, hoping a recruiter reaches out to you. Well, let me tell you, that process of finding a job is history. And what's the new process? It's called Crash. Crash is a new way to land a job. What you do is you go to crash.co, you make a profile, right? You input your skills, make a video pitching yourself, you know, make yourself look good on Crash Profile. And then when you're ready to find a job, you launch. Just like a product on Product Hunt launches to the world, people who are looking for jobs launch on crash they're called crashers and once they're launched people can upvote them and it's a really fun thing but what this does is it turns the job hunt into an event and let me tell you it is so effective there are tons of people that are launching on crash that are finding jobs much faster than they would have otherwise at better companies you can tailor pitches to companies and it's just one of the one of the coolest platforms i've ever seen on the flip side if you're a company and you're a startup and you're hiring um, for a position, what's the most important thing to look for um, in, a, in a position, right, is aptitude. You want someone who's going to get in there, learn, and have a learning rate that's, that's off the charts. So you're looking for high aptitude and everyone launching on Crash is so impressive. You just go to crash.co, browse who's launching it, and I'm positive you're gonna find a writer or a designer or a programmer who impresses you. So I promise you, if you're trying to get a job or if you're trying to hire entry-level talent and beyond, the best place on the internet to do that is crash.co. Thank you again, Crash, for being a sponsor of Forward Thinking Founders. Now, let's get into the show. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we interview founders, talk to them about their companies, their visions, and how the two collide. I'm your host, Matt Sherman, and today with us, we have the prolific multiple-time founder and investor, Imad Akun, who is the CEO of Mercury. Mercury is rethinking banking for startups. With that, I'm really, really excited to bring you this episode that's all about fintech and trends going on in technology. I'm excited for you to hear. And with that, let's get into it. Run it. Imad, how's it going? It's going good. I'm excited to be here with you, Matt. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here with you as well. One of the, the reasons is because you know, you're one of the few guests where I get to interview someone who has a product that I use every day. Uh, so, I mean, I'm obviously very, you know I, I know, I know a lot about Mercury, but for those that are listening, how about you give them an idea of what you're working on with Mercury? Yeah, we're building a bank for startups. So you can kind of sign up in 10 minutes. We'll give you a checking account, a debit card, and a savings account. And the idea is kind of, you know, I've, this is my fourth company and banks are like some of the worst kind of service providers to deal with as a startup. I wanted to make a company that like, you know, is product first, it's going to build something that's like actually going to align with your success rather than kind of try to steal money from you with random fees. Uh, 
And yeah, I'm a, you know, I love building products for entrepreneurs and kind of using it ourselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. So fourth company, you, you, you much have, you must have so much experience, you know, obviously with those other companies uh, on that path. If you can outline what is, you know, before you started Mercury and you, you um, ha had one of these other companies, can you describe um, just, you know, a little bit what the current baking experience is like for an average startup that, you know, they just got funded, they got to send out with the bank, like what's, what's, um, what are those pain points or what are, what's this, the process that you're trying to improve on? You know, you know what, what's the history of banking for startups? Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, number one, the onboarding experience just sucks. Like you have to, for most people, they go to like a Chase or Wells Fargo. So you have to walk into a bank. You have to kind of talk to a person who doesn't know anything about startups. You have to explain your business a little bit to them. Yeah. I think on average, it'll take two and a half hours and to like kind of get out of that room. And then you have a bank account. And then what you'll discover a week later is that they never enabled wires on your bank account for some reason. So now you have to go back in the branch to enable wires or whatever it is, right? Like it's just, you know, they're just, you know, there's a real mismatch in that like, A, they're like mostly dealing with SMB, so they don't really understand startups. Uh, and then B, they're just like, you know, I don't know. It's like a very archaic old system. Most of these companies are like a hundred years old, literally. So they're not looking at it from like a very customer centric perspective. Uh, the alternative is like a Silicon Valley bank or first Republic. Uh, for that, you have to, you know, have a magic email address that like maybe in, you've done a startup before, or, like you're part of an accelerator or something. So you have this magic email address, you email this magic email address, then you go through like a multi-week process of like filling in PDFs or like sometimes really weird web forms. And then, you know, if you're lucky, you have a nice bank account there, but uh, I mean, you have a bank account there. It's not nice though. Uh, so after that process, the products just like suck, you know, you have to, most of the products, especially for the banks that most startups use, look like they're made by like, you know, a teenager in 1995. That's how I like to describe it. Uh, it's just very like, you know, the links are weird. It's the page navigation is really annoying. You can't get to look at your transactions for more than 90 days. You have to look at these PDFs. It's just a super frustrating experience. I found it personally, like, you know, as an entrepreneur, I've been doing it for 13 years. All these products have improved over time whether it's like Slack for communication or like Gusto for payroll, everything's got better, but banks have basically been completely the same. Uh, so I find it very frustrating. And yeah, there's, there's a ton of spaces for innovation, like whether it's something really simple, like, you know, if you're sending money to someone, why can't you do that in like three or four clicks if you've sent it before, right? Like normally banks just like, it's just, everything is just impossible. Uh, so there's a bunch of simple things to do to improve it. And then there's some things we can do that hopefully like, you know, kind of, I think of it as like the class of like democratizing financial products. So, you know, we have a 1.75% savings account, uh, which is, yeah, as a business, it's just super hard to get a high interest bearing savings account, uh, whereas it should be trivial. Um, so we want to improve like, you know, everything we can in the stack. Uh, and there's a lot we need to do. Yeah, that's a very de descriptive, you know, idea of what it's like working with one of those banks. I remember when I had to sign up for one when we first got into an accelerator in January. The onboarding experience, you're right, it it was horrible. Um, and then 
I don't know when it was. It must have been just a couple of months later, but I saw, I believe, Mercury, you know, launched on product time and I tried it. And I think within like two days, we had an account and it was fantastic. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Mercury, um, but I, I can't help but to wonder, you know, there aren't, it's not like there's banks popping up every day on product time. Like it can't be easy to start a bank, specifically a bank for startups. So that gives you a moat just in itself. But I'm wondering, can you kind of go into lately, how do you just start a bank? You know, you, there's this problem where these, these banks aren't good and you said you want to solve the problem. Can you just lightly cover how you went about starting your own bank for startups? Sure. I mean, you know, I've been doing startups for a long time, but this is my first fintech company. Uh, my, but what I think I'm pretty good at is learning new things. Uh, and I enjoy doing that. So my approach was, so I've had this idea for quite a while. So even while I was doing my previous startup, I was like, okay, this is annoying. So I tried to kind of collect how I would go about doing it a little bit, just very lightly, like just who are the types of people I talk to and all that kind of stuff. Um, so my approach was really, yeah, in January, 2017, I was kind of, I sold my previous company. I was free from the earnout, and I just, put out a pretty wide feeler. Uh, I was like, I'm going to talk to every fintech entrepreneur I know. I'm going to talk to every VC that might be fintech related I know or I don't know. I'm going to talk to every person I can get to that has started a challenger bank. Uh, so I talked to like this, you know, I think two or three of the simple co-founders and other people that worked at Simple. Uh, I talked to many of the people that I've done in Europe, like the N26 uh, like not the founder, but someone high up there, uh, one of the Monzo founders. Uh, so my approach was really like, let's like the way I learn is really just talk to a lot of people. Uh, oh, and also lawyers, lawyers are actually like pretty good and they're relatively easy to get to because you know, there's every, at least for us, because it's a very regulated space. There's every, you know, every major law firm has like a FinTech slash banking person. Uh, so I just spent a lot of time just kind of talking to people, honing in my approach, like whether I was going to you know, try to buy a bank, whether I was going to partner with a bank. Uh, and yeah, thankfully I had the luxury to do that over, I think about like a five month period. I probably tried to count it up at one point. I talked to at least 90 people. Uh, I know, you know, every time I talked to someone at the end of it, I'd be like, okay, you know, who else should I talk to? Like, how can I, and over time there was like, you know, I had like some mental maybe at times like a physical list of like things i wanted to understand uh and over time i would uh, every time I, like i try to like ask like try to take off those things if that makes sense so you know if you want to buy a bank like what is the best state to buy the bank in because every state has like slightly different like kind of state regulators like all of this stuff <laughs> which you know a lot of it didn't come in useful but i wanted to like figure out the answer to a bunch of these things uh, and yeah, so it was like kind of a process where I started in January and I was, you know, I felt like I talked to someone that they used like five acronyms that I didn't understand and I, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, and then you'd kind of ask a few people, you research on the internet, figure things out, talk to the next person and you're like slightly more knowledgeable. Right. Uh, and I, the way yeah, I think it's interesting when you're doing something new, like there's at some point there is like a limit of what is knowledge and what is like kind of like this gray area of like, okay, there may be truth there or like one person believes this, but the next person believes that. I think once you're getting to this kind of gray area, that's when you're like 
not at the limit of knowledge, but at least for that kind of, you know, path of questioning, you're like, okay, it's like, I mean, if you take like a particular thing, like how much, this is super granular, but like how much can a non-bank holding company own of a bank, for example, uh, that actually is for some reason is like a various levels of gray area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have like seven opinions on that, on that from like lawyers and all sorts of things. Uh, so I think that's, that's kind of how I think about like kind of knowledge acquisition, figuring out the strategy and things like that. Uh, but it's also fun. Like it was a fun process. I love learning new things. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's a whole education in itself starting a fintech company. So that's really insightful. Thanks for sharing that with me. So Oftentimes on this podcast, I interview, um, you know, first-time founders that are, are on a rocket ship and they're, you know, they're trying to hang on, um, whereas you're a little different as you have a, a fair amount of experience going into Mercury um, and maybe you're not just hanging on, maybe you're riding the rocket ship because, you, because, you know, you, you've been kind of, you've been around the block a little bit. I'm kind of wondering, what is it like starting your, 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 your third or fourth company um, and, and how is it easier than your first or second? And in some ways, like, is it harder in any ways or is it easier across the board? Uh, I would say it's easier across the board. Uh, just because, I mean, there's just a bunch of things that are different, right? Like psychologically, you're just much better prepared for the ups and downs uh, and there's always ups and downs, but I just like, you know, as a, as like a 23 year old when I first started or something, Oh, I guess even younger. Uh, I used to take things way more personally, right? Whereas now I'm just like, okay, you know, this is part of the process. So you you build up these kind of uh, ways of approaching things that improve. Uh, I think the thing that was a lot easier this time is, uh, yeah, I was much better at fundraising. I would say we in my previous companies we always struggled at fundraising. Some of it's just like market and idea, but some of it's like you know, relationships and the way I talk about companies and things like that. It's probably just, uh, I'm just better at it. So that was easier. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like things that were harder. Uh, I think something that is, I don't think it's hard in the end is like, you know, I can't, I can't work like 12 hours a day, six days a week anymore. (laughs) Like I used to, or maybe even more. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that's actually healthy or necessary. Um, and yeah, I have a, I have kids and I have a family and, you know, I, I, I think like having like some, some balance is like useful. Uh, not that I don't work very hard, but yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah. I think generally it is easier. Uh, obviously like, you know, as an entrepreneur, I will, I do more difficult things as like things get easier. So I don't think the actual like challenge ahead of us is easier. Uh, but I think like the approaches we have is easier. Having said all of that, like, you know, we're still, slightly smaller than the previous company I built in terms of like employees. So, you know, talk to me in a year's time and I might be like, Oh my God, it's completely different. It's a, it's a disaster or something. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. I, I sure hope not as, as a loyal customer. And I have a feeling based on, you know, based on just being a user and also seeing how quickly, you know, you may not notice this because it might be second nature to you, but the speed at which you respond to support emails is uh, tweeted about all the time. Like I see on Twitter people being amazed how quickly 
um, you or your team respond. And it does matter. You know, if I have a banking problem and this wire didn't work or, you know, whatever it is, and I send out an email to another bank, might be like 48 business days. But with Mercury, it's like, you know, it's like within the hour. So that's, um, that's, that, that's very nice um, as, think, a, as a customer. You know, I think one thing that was like important to us is like, we really do think, yeah, more long term about these things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, both in terms of like the way we set up the company, the way I think about it, like I'm here for 10 years at least, you know, I don't, uh, that, uh, yeah, we've always wanted to have like, what are the things that are bad about banks? Like we want to fix those. One of them is like customer services. You know, you feel like you're not talking to a human uh, right. when you get through and it takes forever. So uh, yeah, it's one of these like core things we want to fix. So we try to be like very deliberate about these things. Yeah, well, well, it's much, much appreciated. Well, you know, you said, it, you, you know, as you think about this company, you said 10 years. So, so let's, let's kind of move down the line a little bit. You know, you're in your first year, you, you, you're getting it off the ground, you got some employees, got some customers, got a great, great product. What, where would you say are you headed with, with Mercury? In more kind of short term to midterm, like five, five years from now, maybe, or maybe like three, four years from now, like what are you trying to accomplish um, with Mercury in what you're building, whatever you're able to share? And then on top of that, I'd love to hear, um, I'd love to hear, you know, what's the big vision? Like where are you rowing to and where's the, what's the holy grail? Um, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about what, where you're rowing to. Yeah, I guess right now, five years seems like a very long-term perspective. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's like step one for me is to like get to a level where I'm like, okay, you know, this solves all the problems that I set out to solve uh, when I started it, which are like all the problems I faced as an entrepreneur in my previous company. Uh, like part of that is having a really good API to the bank. So, you know, we were a marketplace. We used to receive a lot of money, send a lot of money. It was all very manual when it was very annoying. Uh, so that's some, it doesn't apply to every company that's going to use us, but I think where someone does need an API, I think it's like a pretty good use case for us. Uh, and often it's bigger companies that need it. And also I think once we do have an API, uh, yeah, an ecosystem will kind of develop around that. And we're already talking to some of com some companies that are interested in that. So that's kind of like, you know, part of the core vision, part of something we wanted to do from kind of day zero. And I'm very excited about like, we're going to launch pretty soon with it. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing that was always part of the core vision is to really, yeah, I don't want to just build a bank. I actually kind of find it annoying when people are like, oh, you're a banker or something like that. <laughs> uh, I really want to build something that helps entrepreneurs succeed. And part of that is like help, helping them really understand like what's happening with their finances. Uh, and that was, again, something that frustrated me as an entrepreneur. It was like, you know, my AWS bill would go up uh, and I just wouldn't notice for a few months. And yeah, I was just, you know, with AWS, you can just always optimize it. Uh, but that's just one example. Like there's always things happening uh, with your finances. And you know, as a small uh, small company, you don't have someone that's going to own like the CFO position, right? Like, I mean, whatever, maybe you have a CFO, but it's, you know, <laughs> he's also maybe the CEO and the CPO, whatever. So that was something we wanted to build give you insights, help you understand your business and help it succeed. Uh, and we haven't, you know, we haven't got around to building that yet, but that's gonna, one of the next things in the roadmap. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, on a on the kind of slightly broader, yeah, I guess five to twenty year position, uh, you know, the reason I've beyond like obvious kind of product moves and like things to improve. The reason I was excited about Mercury is I actually think like a lot of the interesting things happen later on, like when you're five years into it and you, you know, the hard, hardest bit actually in fintech is this starting bit, uh, like going from like zero to like something is really actually the hardest bit. Uh, but I think a lot of interesting things happen later. You know, if we look at it like super broadly, banks are worth 4.5 trillion in the U S uh, and they're just like obviously broken. Uh, you know, they're one of the few industries that is dealing with almost completely only dealing with bits, but is not are not technology companies. So I just think there's a you know, a seismic shift that's going to happen, which a lot of people recognize, uh, where like banks will either have to become technology companies or technology companies will take like the lion's share of the margin there. Uh, so I think that's like a very interesting opportunity. Um, I think starting with like startups and businesses is interesting because like, you know, the, they are going to be the big companies of the future, right? So if you can kind of be there and have like a very differentiated product that sticks it out, like I think you can grow with them. Um, and there's a, yeah, there's a ton of like ways to improve banking, whether it's like, you know, better lending or, you know, you know better software tools, like the kind of intelligence stuff we talked about or, or even invoices, expenses there. There's just so many things that like an integrated technology bank could do way better. Uh, that, yeah, there's a lot to do. Absolutely. There, there always is. And that kind of reminds me of something that a guest, I think my last guest on the show, Yoshi from Alpaca, he started talking about how the finance sector and the kind of fintech is shifting a little bit from the East Coast to the West Coast. And what you're saying is kind of interesting because obviously the West Coast, you know, with Silicon Valley is where technology, you know, it's where the lion's share of tech startups uh, exist and, and scale. And it sounds like you're right. Like the, the, I think this is a technology startups market to take and that just aligns with um, his prediction that the, or his observation that the fintech markets are shifting from the East coast to the West coast. So I think that's just an interesting thing that you said. Well, yeah, that's cool. interesting. Actually, if you look at all the successful unicorn fintech companies, none of them are in on the East coast, which is actually, and considered that before, but Yoshi's a smart guy. Yeah. Yoshi, Yoshi is a smart guy. Um, one of my favorite things about th th this, you know, this whole podcast is I get to talk to uh, to founders that spend almost all their time thinking about a certain problem and solution. And uh, kind of like reading a book, something that's not obvious to me at all is super obvious to you or super obvious to Yoshi. And I just get to like have these conversations and, and learn a ton, like what an MBA just, you know, having these conversations. So it's, it, it's great. Um, anyways, so you are onto something fairly big. Um, you know, in my opinion, and, and you feel so as well. And uh, you're just getting started, but the, but the vision is exciting. Um, I, I'm kind of want to back up just a little bit, not in time, but but back up a little away from Mercury, and just learn a little bit more about markets or industries or just like ideas that interest you in general. You know, you've you've spent time. Uh, on other companies, 
I know, I, I believe that you were a part-time partner with YSC. Like you've seen, you've seen a lot and you've seen a lot of technological shifts. You've seen a lot of industries. So I'd love to know just like what, maybe other than FinTech or other aspects of FinTech um, and beyond, what's interesting to you in the markets right now in startups? I'd love to hear. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm actually, uh, I don't know if you know, I'm also like quite a prolific investor. I've invested in like 130 or so seed companies over the last kind of three years. Uh, so the things that I've, yeah, I'm quite into these kind of like, what are the top level broken markets, right? Uh, so the other big one that I think obviously needs fixing and it's particularly bad in America is healthcare. Uh, so whether, you know, I, there's a combination of things. A, is the market's just freaking huge. I don't even know how much it is, like $4 trillion or something. Uh, and B, I hate going to the doctor. So <laughs> the combination of the thing makes me passionate about it. So I'm an I'm a early investor in NewRx, which is a birth control via an app, uh, telemedicine company. Uh, there's a bunch of other kind of telemedicine is, is my favorite. So there's a bunch of those that I've invested in. Uh, and... And yeah, there's other pieces of the healthcare system that, you know, I think software and efficiency can really improve. So that's one space. Uh, you know, the obvious other space is kind of AI, which is interesting, but I think I think you have to like pick the right kind of, uh, you know, application of AI. I don't think like broad AI players are that interesting from my perspective anyway. So I've done a bunch of kind of self-driving vehicle type things. I did Embark, which is a self-driving truck company. Uh, I think it's hard to think of like a new self-driving vehicle companies, but I do think like there's still interesting things in like automation and factories and things like that, that are, that are going to continue to come up. Um, yeah. And the other one is, I think there is still interesting things, although it's hard to build kind of very verticalized B2B companies like Mercury or, you know, I'm an investor in Atrium, which is like the legal corporate law company. I think there's more companies to be built there. It's definitely like harder companies. Like they don't, you know, you need to have like a real uh, force of nature to kind of build like these full stack uh, services combined with tech companies. But there's a lot of people doing it, and like a lot of them make have made good progress. Uh, yeah, those are some of the spaces that are interesting. I mean, the, the other one that is like, yeah. Some of this is just obvious, but sometimes obvious is still interesting. Like the remote collaboration companies. Uh, whether it's like Tandem that was in the last YC batch uh, or some of these like slightly more older ones like Airtable or Notion, you know, which I guess like not strictly remote, but like just collaboration. I think like the thing that I find like really compelling is like, I don't, I'm not an investor in this one, but I don't know if you use Figma, but it's just amazing that like like the internet and browsers and technology is good enough that you can make like a fully collaborative in-browser design editor right like design is like one of the harder things to do so you can basically do anything now on the on the internet with collaboration uh, so i think there's like tons of opportunities still there uh, with like organizing data helping collaboration helping remote teams kind of work better together etc along those same lines i'm curious have you spent any time thinking about the sector of like no code, like being able to, like it's kind of in the realm of Figma, but like, what do you think of, what do you think of no code? And is it a fad or is it the future? Is it like kind of something in the middle? 
I mean, it's both the past and the future, right? Microsoft Excel is like basically a no-code environment. It's just people have like kind of relabeled this thing. Uh, yeah, I think it's huge. Like, I don't. I think it was huge. I think it will continue to be huge. I mm. think the internet kind of enables it to be big. Uh, so yeah, I think it's super exciting. Uh, yeah, I'm an investor in Airtable, and they've obviously like. Yeah, I guess I don't know if everyone would call them a no-code thing, but I, I consider it like as a, a no-code app collaborations uh, platform. Uh, so yeah, I think it's huge. I think it's it's so it's almost so obvious a trend. It's it's like often not worth stating. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's part of this whole collaboration uh, piece. But yeah, I think I mean like at the end of the day abstractly like a lot of the things that developers are still doing is basically building CRUD apps right like even at Mercury often we're you know building these internal CRUD apps to do things ah, so when that just seems inefficient right like they they should be platforms that enable that yeah absolutely um, I, I would also agree that Airtable is 100% in the no-code sphere at my my uh, last company, Publoft, we actually built a full stack app with Weebly, Airtable, Typeform, and Zapier. And Airtable, you know, was our database and it like manipulated nice. data and stuff. And yeah, Airtable is super, yeah, nice, nice investment there. We're a big fan of Airtable. Uh, you, you had a real commitment to no code there. Yeah, well, we um, we scaled up to, I mean, at Publoft's peak, and, you know, a lot has happened, you know, since its peak, but at Publoft's peak, we scaled up to 25,000 in MRR, and that was on top of no code. There was no development built other than what we call the watt stack. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, big fan of no code. I'm now into this platform. Uh, I believe you pronounce it Adelo where like I'm just building full stack apps without anything else. It's just all within Adelo. And I just, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when you know, people that know software can then build full stack apps. Like what happens to the fine developers, but not great developers. And then what happens to the amazing developers? Do they get, you know, so I'm just interested in the market shifts for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be like no code consultants, right? Like it's like, Oh, we'll make an Airtable app and yeah. There's always uh, there's yeah. always like space for kind of jobs as like certain things disappear and other opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, so I want to cover one last topic um, before we before we wrap up the, the podcast. So you know, you're you're very experienced. You, you you've seen a lot of companies. You know, you built you built a good amount of companies, and now uh, you're building Mercury to to help lower friction and help other companies, you know, keep better tracks of their finances and whatnot. So you, you have a ton of experience and there's some people that are listening that may not have any experience. I might just have a little experience, but they still want to build a company that impacts the future. They still want to, 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 to go big and, and, and solve a big problem. What advice would you have to someone who wants to get started in starting a company but doesn't necessarily know the, the best first step forward. Uh, yeah, I always like saying like you can't climb a mountain without taking the first step. So <laughs> I think the the hardest thing sometimes is to just get started, kind of thing. So I think that's like you know step one. I also think like actually like doing something hard and big is not is not that much harder often than doing something like what's easier and smaller. Uh, you know, as in like you're building an app you're building an app if you're going to quit your job and do it you're going to quit your job and do it right so like there's no yeah obviously like 
get into like hardware and like various other things it it gets genuinely harder but i think for most software things it's you know i think dreaming big and like trying to go big is like probably gives you the best learning experience to eventually do it even if it doesn't work out there um and yeah i mean i think this is like an uncool thing to say nowadays but actually like i think like we were talking about this earlier but being in like silicon valley and san francisco is actually like some of the best kind of learning experience you can have while you do it uh so i still kind of recommend that to people uh yeah it's mostly like go do it you know actually it's often yeah when i first started it was you know the downside risk was never that bad when you're young right you don't have responsibilities you're not paying uh for like kids and mortgages and all this stuff so like i think starting earlier is often better uh and you know ideally you had something good straight away if not like you know you enjoy the journey hopefully well you all heard it here first thank you so much for coming on to the podcast imad your wealth of knowledge and appreciate you sharing it with with me and all the listeners yeah thanks for having me yeah you got it i hope you have a great rest of your day you too